Mary Canals is coming up to read the scripture for us this morning. She's going to be reading the account of the institution of communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. We use all these different names for it. In the Methodist tradition, we have um, two sacraments, baptism and communion, which Mary's going to read about for us this morning. And to be a sacrament simply means it's an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace as instituted by Jesus Christ. So hear now these words about that first Lord's Supper. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. May this time together in worship draw us closer to your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We just heard from scripture the account of Jesus sharing a meal with his followers. And then after the meal, sharing a special cup of wine and a special breaking of bread. And almost 2,000 years later, we celebrate this same meal, just as he instructed us to. And this tradition has been handed down from generation to generation in accordance with this commandment from Jesus that he gave his disciples. Each time we share communion, this holy meal, we're connected with the past and the future and then this moment here in the present. So it's like a looking across time because in the past, of course, we're remembering what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us, and we're celebrating and we're giving thanks for all the things that have already happened in the course of our lives and in the course of human history. And then, of course, in this moment, right here and now, when we receive communion, we're worshiping a risen Christ and all that God is doing right now in our hearts and in our world. And then we're looking to the future because we know that Christ will come again, and God has promised to make all things new and to bring in a new kingdom of love and light. So there's the past, there's the future, and then there's this moment now, and we're connected to all of it when we share in this holy meal. So we always begin celebrating the sacrament by looking backward. So listen for it later on in the service when we share in the liturgy together, because you'll hear echoes of words from the past. In our traditional communion liturgy, we go back all the way to the beginning of time. And we typically praise God for creating the earth. I mean, we start way at the very beginning. We say, praise God who created the heavens and the earth. In some form or another, those are the words that we use. And of course, we know that soon after God created the world, we humans started bungling things up. And there's all kinds of stories about that in scripture, how we 
made the wrong choices and we build beyond our means and you name it, we've done it. We've messed up so many different times. But then, in our scripture, you start to get prophecies of the coming of a king, a savior, a messiah. We've just come out of the Christmas season, so we know these prophecies fairly well. We've told the words from the prophet Isaiah where uh, he writes, Wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting God, a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us. There are all these prophecies of the Messiah who would come and set things right and make things the way they should be. If you listen carefully to our traditional liturgy and to the liturgy that we're going to share this morning, you'll hear echoes of those ancient prophecies and of those words from Scripture. You'll hear hear phrases like, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, which is straight out of Isaiah 6. You'll hear words from Psalm 118, where we say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. All of these passages point towards Christ and the coming of the Savior and what God is doing in our world. We're quoting the scriptures of our ancestors to prepare for this meal that we take here and now in 2019. But it's more than just past scripture and quoting verses and looking at these prophecies from the Bible. It's about recounting the very story of Jesus himself. Every time we take communion, we do this. The Christmas story is fresh in our minds from December. We know how Jesus was born as a little baby and he was laid in a manger in Bethlehem because there was no room for him at the inn and there was no room for his parents. And so he was born surrounded by sheep and cows and whatever other animals our tradition adds to the stable. We know about the census. We know about... Quirinius, who was governor of Syria. We read that passage every single, every single December, whether we know too much about Quirinius or not, but that's part of the story. And we've heard over and over again this story of how Jesus came into our world. But of course, the Christmas portion of the story is just the beginning, and we know that it goes on from there. Jesus was a human baby, but then he was raised by human parents. And when he grew up, he learned how to teach and how to do the things that we do, and he felt pain like we do, and he learned to love like we do, because he was human, just like us. But he was also God's son, fully divine, and so we call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies and the promises of scripture, but he also blew those expectations of what those meant out of the water. Because he was a king, but not in an earthly sense. And he had a kingdom, but not with soldiers and walls and all the things that people expected would go along with the kingdom. And he spent such a short time on earth, really. I mean, it was just 33 years that he was here on earth, which is, for me, that's just one year away from where I am right now. I'm 32. And Jesus, he only spent three years in public ministry. I mean, three years. Can you imagine? That was such a short period of time. And yet, within those three years, he rocked the world. He changed what we're doing now, today, in 2019, because of the way that he lived and died and taught us to live. He accomplished an incredible amount of time in those three short years. The first thing he did was he gathered together some followers, we call them disciples, who would journey with him on his entire public ministry. And he gave us this model for what it means to walk a life of faith. We don't do it alone. We do it together. That's why we're gathered here as a group 
rather than off by ourselves somewhere in a corner. Jesus taught us how to pray the words of the Lord's Prayer. We say that every single week when we come to church, at least here in this worship service. Those are words that Jesus taught us because his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We don't know how to pray. And Jesus gave them words. Jesus gave them a focus. Jesus told us that the number one rule should be to love your neighbor as yourself after you love God. Number one rule, love God. And then number two rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Even that grumpy neighbor that you don't get along with too well. Jesus was this model of how to live and what it means to love God and what it means to care for people around you. And then there's all the miraculous stories. We know Jesus healed people. We know Jesus fed people. He fed people when it seemed like there wasn't enough. We know that he talked with children in an era where children were not to be spoken to. We know he spoke with tax collectors and prostitutes and all kinds of other people that the society said, you don't want to be talking to them. Jesus talked with them. And he broke bread with them. And he shared his life with them. He traveled from village to village in an era when that wasn't very common either. And he shared his story. He shared a message of what it means to follow God. It was an amazing life. It was an amazing life. But even when things were going really well on earth, Jesus started telling those followers, those disciples, well, it's foretold that the Son of Man, meaning him, was going to have to suffer and die. And of course, his disciples right away, they're going, why are we talking about this? Things are going really well. I don't know what you're thinking about. That's kind of morbid to be talking about death. But he brought it up several times in the course of his ministry. And so then that final night, Jesus knew that he was going to die the next day. He gathered those disciples, those closest followers, in an upper room. And he shared one final meal with them. And when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine from the table. And he blessed it. And he shared it with his disciples. And he said, you know what, this is my blood which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. His disciples would have known about blood because that was very common in Jewish sacrifice. People would bring cows and sheep and sometimes even goats to be sacrificed, and it was often the blood that made things right according to that tradition. It was, it was the blood of the animal and you would shake it a certain number of times or you would spread it in a certain way or there was something that you would do with the blood in order to be made right. And so here's Jesus at this table saying, well this cup represents my blood. If it was coming from just some random guy off the street, it would be a little bit creepy. But because it's Jesus, we say, okay, there's something powerful at work here. There's something very powerful to say, I'm going to offer up my, my essence, this thing that makes me who I am, that keeps me alive. I'm going to offer this for you. It's a different kind of sacrifice. It's a different kind of model of what it means to offer something for someone else. And then, of course, there's the bread, which Jesus blessed and broke and shared with his disciples and, and said, this is my body offered for you. This is a powerful moment. And I have to imagine that it got a little bit quiet around the table as the disciples took all this in. I have to imagine they 
the wheels were turning in their mind and they're thinking, what, what does this mean? Because Jesus knew he was about to die, but they had not accepted that yet. They did not yet know what the next day would hold. But it's a powerful symbol of Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, offering what he had and who he was to his closest followers and his closest friends. And with this sacrifice came a new set of rules, because in the old traditions with the bringing of animals and all those things, you would be made right for a short time, for a specific thing. But we know that forgiveness is not about sacrificing some cow or some goat or some sheep, and it's not about really what we do at all. With Jesus came a new set of rules. This meal and this sacrifice is about what God is doing. It's about God saying, I'm doing something new here. I'm offering something new. This is something you've never seen before. And it's going to change all the rules. This is forgiveness and love and sacrifice on a cosmic level. Not just for one moment, but for all time. For all people. For us now in 2019 when we come forward to the table and receive this meal. Not because of what we've done or what we're doing, but because of who Jesus is. And what he's done. Wow. Wow. I mean, we sometimes call that wow factor grace because it's not something we earned. It's not something we did. It's not something we're even capable of earning. It's something that God has offered to us freely and without price, without any, uh, without any thing that we can do on our end to earn it. Every time we take communion... We recall this scene that Mary read for us this morning with Jesus in the upper room with his disciples sharing this meal, breaking bread and raising a cup and sharing those things with his disciples. Every time we share communion, we recall this scene. It's a holy moment of remembering and affirming our faith and what God has done for us and saying, I want to be part of that kind of love. I want to model that kind of sacrifice. And yet this meal and this story is so much more than just an appeal to the past. It's also taking part in what God is doing now. I had a professor at seminary who said, when we hear Jesus' words, like we read from scripture this morning, do this in remembrance of me, often we focus on that word remembrance. And how we've got to remember and we've got to think back and we've got to tell the story. And of course we do. But my professor argued, really the more important phrase in that sentence is, do this. You've got to do this. You've got to eat this meal. You've got to take part in this covenant. You've got to be part of what God is doing. Yes, we remember. But we also do this. Share this meal. Come together in worship. It's a call to action. Take this bread. Take this cup. Take on this life like Jesus lived. Because when we share in communion, it's not just looking back at once was, at what once was. We're looking at what God is doing here and now. Because when we share this meal, like when we attend worship, we expect we're going to encounter the risen Christ. We expect we're going to encounter the living God. We expect that God will be moving 
and God will be speaking. And we may not hear God every single Sunday when we come into worship in this place, but we come with the expectation that God is here and God is speaking to someone in this room, whether we hear it or not. And when we share in this meal, we come with the expectation that the same thing is happening. God is at work in this bread and in this juice. God is changing lives through this bread and this juice, this meal that we share together. Think about that first encounter after Christ's resurrection. We call it the road to Emmaus story. Jesus is risen from the dead. He meets some of his disciples, and they're not initially able to recognize him. It's only when they sit down to share a meal, and Jesus takes bread, and he blesses the bread, and he breaks the bread, and he shares the bread, that suddenly the disciples' eyes are open, and they suddenly recognize that this is Jesus Christ sitting across from them at the table sharing this meal. It's when we share this meal together that our eyes are opened and we're able to recognize God in our midst in a new way. Almost 2,000 years later, we continue this tradition of breaking bread and sharing fruit of the vine. We gather. Bread is blessed and broken and shared We gather, knowing that Christ is present among us, here in this place. We gather with confidence that these simple elements of bread and juice, when blessed by God, become so much more than simply bread and juice. In some mysterious way, Christ is at work in these elements, and they provide strength for the days ahead, and they bolster our faith, and they sustain our spirits, these simple elements. We gather like those first disciples, reminded that through the sharing of this holy meal, we are not alone. In fact, we're better together. And faith is a journey meant to be taken as a group, like those first followers who were with Jesus. John Wesley called communion a means of grace. And he believed that every time you shared in the sacrament, every time you shared communion, you received God's grace, the unmerited, unearned love and forgiveness of God. That's why churches in the Wesleyan tradition serve communion to children and other people who can't understand, because there's nothing you can do to earn God's grace. It's offered freely, whether we understand it or not. You don't need to fully understand to receive God's grace. It's offered freely. Grace for all and grace in all. Methodists believe that communion can have a powerful effect on a person's heart. In some traditions, there's qualifications to receive communion. You have to be a member, or you have to attend classes, or you have to be in good standing, or you have to be a certain age. And um, certainly, we respect those traditions of, of other folks. But here, in this church, we practice what's called an open table, which means exactly what it sounds like. The table is open to anyone who comes forward. The only requirement is a desire to know God through Jesus Christ. And if you have a desire or an inkling of a desire, you're welcome at this table. This table is for you. You're invited to come forward and receive. This is a table where the past intersects with the future. And we experience that right now in this moment. We proclaim it in our communion liturgy when we declare Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It's this intersection of the past and the future and the present, all in this one moment. And we recall all of these things and we're part 
of all of these things together. It's a statement outside of time, claiming the past, looking to the future, knowing that in this moment God is at work. To share this meal is to look forward to the future. We claim, we proclaim that we'll share this meal with Christ when he comes again. He says it in the words of scripture from Matthew. He says, truly I tell you, I won't eat from this, I won't drink from this cup until I drink from it in my Father's kingdom. He's looking forward to that day when God's kingdom comes on earth and all things are made new. We look to those end times, to that promise of God returning and making all things new. But even more than that, in our personal lives, right here and now, this meal is a launching pad for what we're going to do next. You don't have to look all the way to the end of time to know that this meal is also about what we're going to do in the next couple of days or weeks. How are you going to live your life once you leave this place? God's kingdom is among us, and we're bearers of the kingdom. And so we take this meal, and we eat this bread, and we, we drink this juice, and that should launch us out and determine what we're going to do differently when we leave this place and we go into the world. We're going to advocate for justice. We're going to forgive people when they do things wrong to us. We're going to love people. We're going to love the heck out of people because that's what Jesus taught us to do. And we take this meal and we're reminded of everything he did. And that sets the tone for how we go forward into the next days ahead. It's really easy to go on autopilot, whether you're just in church on a regular Sunday or when you're taking communion, and we're thinking about things like, oh, I'm coming forward, I don't want to step on the heels of the person in front of me, or I don't want to drip the juice on the floor. Nobody cares if you drip the juice on the floor. It's going to be fine. I want to challenge you this Sunday to let go of the autopilot, let go of the other things that you're worrying about, and when you come forward, or at some point during the communion liturgy, later this service, to offer a prayer, to really let this settle on your heart and change how you're living, what you're doing, what God is doing within you. And so maybe, maybe it's just before you go up, you're sitting, you're waiting in your pew, and you offer a prayer and say, God, speak to me, speak to my heart, move in my life. Maybe it's while you're in line coming forward, you have to stand in the center pew for a little while. Maybe that's when you offer a prayer. You look up at the cross and you just focus on that while you're walking forward. Maybe it's while you're actually receiving the bread and the juice and you offer a short prayer and you pause for a moment before you eat the bread. Or maybe it's when everything's all over and you don't have to think about all the details and you're back in your pew and that's the moment where you let out a deep breath and you offer a prayer and you say, God, what are you going to do through me this week? What are you going to do differently? Because I just shared in this meal, because we just shared in this meal together. I don't know what it's going to be for you, but I want you this morning, I want to challenge you to see it a little bit differently. To really not go through the motions, but be present in the moment. To take it all in and to see what God might have in store for you as we share in this sacrament, what God might be saying to you, what you might need to say to God. I don't know what that is, but this meal changes people. It changes people. It connects us to what God has already done. It launches us into what God is doing in the future, and it works in our hearts right now, right here. And we expect that God is on the move.
May that be true for us this morning and every time that we share in the sacrament. Amen.